Hi, this is Megan McHugh, and this is the podcast of Triple R Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy, and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website. G'day, welcome aboard the Starship Zero G, science fiction, fantasy and historical radio for episode number 1395, entitled, Yo, Stranger, Everything's Everywhere All at Once in a Multiverse of Madness. <laughs> Our podcast title is Duplipod. Stay calm. Your brain is under an incredible amount of strain. And I am the one who is putting you under pressure. I am Rob Jan. And Megan McHugh standing by. <laughs> Welcome back, Megan. Thank you. Very happy to be back. And so extra happy too, because there's been so much good genre stuff happening that I'm very keen to crack on with a good discussion of some of the good stuff that I know we've already talked about on Zero G, but throwing my two cents into the ring and being a bit more spoilery, I think, is the plan. Well, we've seen two of the, what I think are the most fun movies that we're likely to see this year. You never know. Be cool. It's only May. And I have already discussed both of these movies on Zero G, Mm -hmm. but they were solo shows, and I really wanted to talk with Megan about them. So give you fair warning, listeners, we are going to do a completely spoiled, rotten view of these two films, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness and also Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. (laughs) Yes. We need an abbreviation for that. Well, I saw some good advertising they had, which was just the googly eyes, and all it said down the bottom was E-E-A-A-O and the website. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. But see, even that abbreviation is too hard, I think. It is. It would be better if it sort of abbreviated to AR or something like that. It would work so much better. All right. So Marvel's Sam Raimi's Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, which is the 28th MCU film. Mm -hmm. Also the film Everything, Everywhere, All at Once, which is the first of its films. (laughs) Maybe they'll get a sequel. I don't know. But many films Uh, in one in a way as well. So you're getting a lot for your money with that one. (laughs) Well, they're both multiversal. So, all right, well, everything is <laughs> directed and written by Dan Kwan and Daniel Scheinert, mm-hmm. collectively known as Daniels, and that's kind of funny because the film is produced by the Russos, which is so weird because it's like, you know, they are the masters of the future multiverse variation branches and stuff from the Marvel Universe, the Russo brothers. And so here we've got this other sort of movie It's off by itself. I mean, you're right. And I think the Russo brothers probably just know a good thing when they see it. But, like, the Daniels have been working on this concept for a long time. So I think it's important to stress that it's not like they've jumped onto, like, a multiverse bandwagon. From what I understand, this is a film they've been wanting to make for years and years in the way they want to make it. And so there's been a lot of build-up. And I think in some ways it's fortunate because we can discuss both these multiverse films together. But in some ways it's unfortunate that the timing just so happens they've made 
made this film at the same time as another multiverse film has come out. I think it's a bit of a passion project that they've been stewing away on for some time and it just so happens that it's a bit of the Armageddon deep impact effect where we get both these at once, everything, everywhere, all at once. Maybe having all of these multiversal films will create some kind of nexus some kind of collision between realities. You never know. I mean, I'm ready to see more. I love a good multiverse concept. And I think when it's done well, it's so fun. But that being said, no one wants to see a a horrible multiverse film either because it can go very wrong. It's a strange fact that uh, the Marvel movie, of course, has a budget of like $200 million. Yeah. And the other movie, which is not a Marvel movie, is like $22 million. Yeah. But they have both made so far about uh, four times their budget back. Is that right? So, I heard originally, yeah. I think last I checked, because I was wondering how everything everywhere had been going, because I really wanted it to do well. And this is even before I saw it. Um, and I sort of saw that it's done quite well for an A24 film. I think it's their highest grossing one, but it hadn't done as well in terms of against its budget. But I, that might have been misinformation that I heard. But I'm I'm glad to hear it's done well. Yes, it has indeed. Uh, all over the place, really, <laughs> everywhere. Even though it's a kind of a lot of a, a fairly limited release compared to the Strange Movie, which is like, you know, it's got m- multiple sessions simultaneously in multiplexes. Mm. And yeah, anyway, that's neither here nor there. I'm really not intending to um, to compare them in terms of uh, this one's better than that one because I enjoyed both of them pretty much equally. Yeah, and they're very different in how they're the type of film they are and even from things like yeah the original like the core concept as well as the execution you can't compare them at all i think it's just fun for us to dissect some good multiverse content and that's what we're going to do today yeah well the strange movie is basically a horror movie Mm. set in a superhero context and everything everywhere all at once is actually more science fictional yeah definitely and i think it's a little bit philosophical and you know it gets you thinking let's say that let's not try to be too clever with our words but it's meant to be a bit thought-provoking as well yeah i'd noticed that kwan and Scheinhurt originally wanted to have jackie chan in the mm. lead role with michelle yo being yep. the wife sort of as a secondary character but they also wanted to have Aquafina playing the daughter in it. Oh, I would have loved that casting. I imagine because she's doing a lot right now, it's probably mm. they couldn't get her or because that would have been pretty great. Not that the actress who plays Joy, she's wonderful. No complaints there, but I love Aquafina. <laughs> the directors did too because they worked with her on uh, that Aquafina is Nora from Queens. Ah, nice. So, yeah, so there was all sorts of strange things. Now, these two directors for everything well they did that swiss army man in 2016 yeah so this i don't know if you talked about this already but i'm curious have you seen that no (laughs) i feel like i have though because i've seen so many clips from it yeah i'd love to hear what you think of it maybe that could be a fun like throwback review that we do because i saw that in the cinema when it came out because i was very intrigued by it and i loved it it's kind of like this film in that it is really weird and there's plenty of stuff in it where you go how did someone think of that like (laughs) this is a bit left of center let's say but they pull it off and it somehow you're like wow I'm watching this like 
farting corpse and yet I'm somehow moved. I feel emotionally attached. I've, you know, I'm tearing up at the end of this movie and it's really kind of hit me. And yet a whole part of the concept is that, you know, he's using this corpse to like open cans or whatever. Well, no, not quite, but like, you know, the concept's so crazy, but it still taps into something. And so I was so keen on this movie because I knew how well Swiss Army Man had been executed. So I was like, I reckon if anyone can do an unusual multiverse film, it's these guys. So I'd be keen to hear what you think of it, Rob. I really loved it, but it is not for everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Well, double E-A-O is a very typical A24 film. We've seen like Ex Machina, The Witch, uh, Moonbase 8 on telly. Mm -hmm. And other shows. So I feel it's very much in line with their other films. Mm. Also, I thought The Strange Movie, that really is so far down the rabbit hole of Marvel movies as the 28th film. And look, it does actually require you to have seen, particularly I would say, WandaVision. Yes. And you'd be a bit cracker if you hadn't seen the first Strange Movie. I agree. I think it's actually we're starting to get into the territory more where some of these movies can't stand as alone as some of the previous ones have. Like, I do think you obviously get the most out of these movies if you've been following the MCU and you know a little bit about it. But this one is definitely very tied into what's come before and won't make much sense if you're coming at it fresh, I don't think. I mean, unless you're just there to enjoy the multiverse and the rainy vibes and whatnot. But you're right. I think seeing WandaVision is almost critical in understanding a key part of her motivation. Now, this is a spoiled, rotten episode of Zero G. So, you know, if you don't really want to know anything about the new Doctor Strange movie or everything everywhere all at once, then tune out because we are spoiling it rotten. Normally we don't do this. We did not do this on the first run through of these films, but now we're taking the opportunity to have a go at that. Yeah. Wanda's transition her arc from WandaVision to this made entire sense. Mm-hmm. It is a bit tropey. They're leaning on the trope of her going even more bizarre because of the fact that she feels like she's lost her children, mm. children which didn't exist in the first place. Yeah. She invented them in WandaVision in the television show, and now here she is rummaging through the multiverses trying to find a universe where they actually do exist, and they do. Yeah. We've been through this multiverse thing so much on Zero-G, Spider-Man No Way Home, the animated film Into the Spider-Verse, the Loki series, and the What If cartoon show. It's strewn throughout the science fiction media universe, you know, Star Trek Picard. Oh, yeah. Quite often they go to the trope of everything is bad or evil in, in the other parallel Yeah, it's like a dark universe or whatever, you know, the darkest timeline or what have you. But that's only one iteration. There's there's so many more possibilities. Star Trek is known for it so much. Red Dwarf, Lost in Space, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's also tied into the whole counterfactual thing in science fiction literature of counterfactuals. You know, what if World War II was won by the Axis? The U.S. Civil War was won by the wrong side. Or mm. Rome never fell. You know, Sliders, Fringe, Rick and Morty, they've all done this <laughs> sort of stuff. In this one, in both of these films, they lean into it. Their take on how these multiverses are comprised, well, I could almost say they're same, same, different, different, because they are. Um, in E-double-two-A-O, they've got uh, the idea of branching. Mm. So it's like a, like a tree that branches out. Every time somebody makes a different decision, it creates a sort of different timeline, yeah. and these are all the different multiverses. I'm not really quite sure what 
what some of the decisions must have been to give you a, a, a parallel universe where everybody has hot dogs for fingers. Well, they showed, didn't they? They have that shot of the last monkey. The no, sorry, not monkey. The last like primate with proper like fingers gets killed by the hot dog primate, and I thought that was. I mean, it was played for laughs, but um, yeah, I think you're right. Some, I think some of it. The small chain. I mean, I guess it's a butterfly effect. Who are we to say? Maybe hot dog fingers are more than more than plausible. <laughs> I love the um, the concept of the alpha verse, which of course in the Marvel universe really kind of devolves upon Earth six one six, which is actually named as such in the Strange movie this time around. Did. It's interesting because I guess we always operate under the assumption that our universe is the primary universe or the real universe or the Mm, core universe, right? Like we always assume that ours would be the one, whereas it could just be just some Mm. random, yeah, 616 or 124 or whatever. They both had montages of travelling through these Mm. multiverses or across them and, you know, they both had ones where things were either animated or done in paint. Yes, yeah, yeah, Mm, mm, mm-mm-mm. That was cool. I love the one where Michelle, where Evelyn finds herself as Michelle Yeoh attending movie premieres, being on, on a modest budget. $22 million is nothing no, for these films. Yeah. They used footage from Michelle Yeoh actually going to premieres. <laughs> so clever. I love that. That's like, take, you know, when they get pictures of young actors and they put them in the frames in the movie, it was just taking that the extra level. I thought that was wonderful. And I think a lot of people loved the bit where, you know, what could have been with Waymond and, you know, he's like, I would have loved to just do laundry with you. And it's like, oh, they could lead these glamorous lives separately, but, you know, is it better for them to lead a mundane, quote, unquote, life together? Who's to say? Who's to know? And then there's the one in uh, everything where they're rocks. <laughs> they're in a very prehistoric world without any living creatures, but she and her daughter are rocks. Mm. It's, uh, yeah. <laughs> they're, they're still bickering. Again, it's that wonderful effect of playing for comedy, but it was quite poignant in some ways as well. Now, just a reminder to listeners, we're being extremely indulgent and naughty as well because we're spoiling them rotten, and we are assuming that you've seen these films. Yes, yeah, exactly. Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness and everything, everywhere, all at once. So, a bit of an odd zero-G yeah, in some respects. I think it's nice. We're just going to have a bit of a natter about multiverses and our thoughts on the films. So, yeah, just, I think, settle in for a bit of a meandering show, but that's going to be part of the fun. <laughs> an odd zero-G. <laughs> the default setting of zero-G. I know. <laughs> Well, you're in the multiverse of madness right now, and let's have a track from Mm. the movie. The soundtracks have finally dropped so I can actually play them there. Nice. This is Rob Sherman, and you're listening to Zero G. Yeah, that was very Danny Elfman, wasn't it? Yes, yeah. It was nice to see him attached to this. Hmm, multiverse of madness. He's usually uh, Tim Burton's go-to composer, but Sam Raimi in this case. Sam Raimi, who we know very well on Zero G from Evil Dead and Mm. three Spider-Man movies with Tobey Maguire, now bored into canon. Yes, exactly. And I honestly, I 
that's part of what I really loved about the Doctor Strange was because I'm a big Evil Dead fan. You know, you mentioned before this is essentially the, the horror movie and, you know, we've had past ones like, you know, Ant-Man's a heist movie and, and Captain America was like a war movie and so on. And I hadn't really clocked it, but then obviously once it kicks off and Sam Raimi brings that style of like the music and the tension and the fun stuff he's doing, I was like, this is such a good ride and I enjoyed that he just lent into doing all of the stuff that he does best and having the overlay of multiverse. Yeah, it could be called Drag Me to Multiverse Hell. Absolutely. Or like Doctor Undead. Like, who knows? I mean, I'd be curious to know who came first, Sam Raimi as director or the script, because it seems to be such a pairing that some of the ideas are so Sam Raimi that I'd be surprised if the script was written like this and then they just so happened to get him. I don't know. You know what I mean? Well, Sam Raimi came aboard this project quite late. There was another director attached to it. Really? Working on it originally. Yeah. So, but actually, I feel like it's a better fit for him. Well, that's it. That's what I mean. Like, it's so Sam Raimi. I'm so surprised that this script existed on its own without his involvement. So, Mm, Obviously, they've tweaked it once he's come on board. Maybe he's added some. I mean, and obviously the stylistic stuff, he's he's lent into that much more. Like, I'm sure it just said Wanda pursues him down a corridor, but he's made it into what it comes in the movie, which is a great horror chase. Yes, he's made into limping and stumbling and bleeding Wanda goes down the corridor and squeezes through an opening that's too small for a human form and has to crack her bones back out. And, there was definitely some know. stuff that I was like, wow, that's that's pushing the envelope. But, yeah, no, there was some great stuff. <laughs> Just another caution to listeners, we are on Zero G today and we are spoiling Rotten, mm. Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness and also – Everything, everywhere, all at once. This is unusual for us, but we are down the track a little bit with these films, so Mm -hmm. if you don't want to have any spoilers from them, we are assuming that you've seen them. So if anybody wants to get out... (laughs) Now's the chance. (laughs) We've already talked about some of the different multiverses they visit Mm -hmm. in Everything, Everywhere, All at Once, and in the Doctor Strange movie, we go to a universe where we see a Defenders Doctor Strange. I don't know if you're aware of it, but he's part of that group in the Marvel Comics universe. Mm -hmm. We see a zombie Doctor Strange from that universe, Mm -hmm. and I think it cracks me up that his best inspirational speech, he gives us a zombie. Yeah, (laughs) with half a jaw. (laughs) Um, There's an underwater world we see at one stage, a comic book art world, some kind of steampunk type diesel punk thing with zeppelins flying. There's always zeppelins. I know. There's always zeppelins. Because people love to do the aesthetic thing, right? So they're like, ooh, yeah, steampunk. Let's find an excuse to have some kind of brass zeppelin hanging in the sky for no reason. One where there's just volcanoes, one where there's just tubes, dinosaurs. Mm. Uh, they turn into cubes at one the point. The paint, isn't there some paint where they're like blobs of paint? Yeah, the blobs of paint. That was hectic. Yeah. <laughs> the worlds that we see in the everything movie, they're all pretty much balanced out. I don't think they spend more time in one than another. Did, did it feel like that to you? Yeah, no, I agree. And I think most of the other universes are used in relation to what they can give the current universe. So in terms of they revisit some of the core ones. So like they'll revisit Hot Dog or they'll revisit Rakakuni. But I'd say those are all still second billing <laughs> in terms of they're just supporting the main universe, I think. Yeah. yeah. Everything is a madcap paced film and it's hard to tell where you are, but I actually think that's good because it means you feel like Evelyn. Yeah. Yeah. It's got one of the best intros ever where they introduce just her normal life and how, and just capture that 
so perfectly. Yeah, it was masterful. And Michelle Yeoh is so good in this. She's so funny and just really gets a chance to, to really lean into the craziness that's unfolding as part of the plot with each multiverse. Look, we all know that it very much feels like this is a capstone for Michelle Yeoh's career. It feels like she's been building up to this film. Yeah, yeah. Which, of course, she hasn't. <laughs> but she has said that, you know, it's meant a lot to her, that when the script came to her, she really felt that they'd seen the potential and the things she wanted to do that she hasn't been given the opportunity to. And I thought that was so nice that, yeah, she felt this film gave her, like, an opportunity to show off skills rather than just kick butt. That was nice. Well, she's never had to play with hot dogs for fingers before. (laughs) Definitely lots of firsts in this film, I would say. This is slightly delicate or a naughty concept, but she's never had to fight a a kung fu battle where butt plugs are a weapon. Oh, Oh, that was so much, Rob. I honestly, I saw it coming because they they flag it, right? Like they're prepping you. And I was like, oh, my God, no, no, no. (laughs) They went there. And that's the thing. Like after seeing Swiss Army Man, I should have expected it, it would get that kind of unhinged in a way, but yeah, it really went places I wasn't expecting. And I, I mean, props to it though. It, yeah, it went places, definitely did. Yeah, they really didn't. They pushed it. They pushed the envelope for sure. And in hindsight, I should have known they would. They would. God, that was a lot. <laughs> that scene. I'm usually the one who makes the puns here. I know. I didn't even realise. That's the thing. That scene just oh, it's ruined me. Yeah. And even the little the little kooky things they have to do to trigger the, you know, the jumps or whatever, how much fun would that have been in, like, whatever writer's room or when they were doing the script oh, yeah. deciding this is a crazy yeah. thing or this other kooky thing or... To um, jump from the different multiverses for, into the different characters and bring them back in some cases as well. Uh, they were doing things like... Like paper cuts between your fingers. Oh my God, that you know, I couldn't watch that. Just really, ooh. But the best part about that is when he comes back into his body and he's like, "What's wrong with my hand?" If I were comparing that to the Doctor Strange one, that's actually far more interesting and fun. But, 100%. You know, and it makes ooh. tangential sense too. Like when they kind of explain it, quote unquote, you're like, "Yeah, okay. Like I'll buy that." But you see, they have an advantage in in the Michelle Yeoh movie. They are able to plug into the Alpha universe, which actually does know everything about the other ones. Yeah, I think that is very interesting that that in some ways, yeah, that idea of the master universe, I suppose, or one that's it's harnessed the potential of the other universes and how that would work. But I suppose in some ways it's no different to multiverse where they hop between universes to try to figure out what's happened in each one and how they can leverage it to get the answers they need. So in in some ways it's just doing the same goal in a different way. Mm. Although I thought that one of the things that both films share in common, uh, everything has the martial arts down pat, really. You know, the it's expertly staged and it has to be because they're not using a lot of CGI, some of that, those scenes. Yeah. A lot of it's all done Practical on the set. stunts and stuff. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the, the battle where Waymond uses the fanny pack as a weapon. Oh, amazing. <laughs> so good. And, of course, these are all Easter egging 
classic martial arts and waxia films mm, and so mm, on. Mm, mm, mm. Even when occasionally they do an Easter egg like that big 2001 A Space Odyssey scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's so funny because I'd gone to eat because I was in New York at the time. I'd eaten an everything bagel, not knowing, went into the movie and was like, oh, it's a key character. <laughs> no accident, I'm sure. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Well, let's have that track that we just referenced there, the the fanny pack (laughs) from everything, everywhere, all at once. Hello, I'm Ray Harryhausen, animation pioneer. You're listening to Zero G on 3RRR-FM. Fanny pack from everything, everywhere, all at once. You know, I'm not going to get sick of saying that, but I (laughs) probably will get wrong at least once today. I keep saying all the time, which is uh, wrong. Like, I yeah, I don't yeah. know where that comes from. But- yeah, and the actor wielding it was supposed to have been like Jackie Chan in the mm. early sorts of drafts of this thing, but in this, it's actually actor Ki Hai Kwan playing Waymond Wang. And he's great. He was the character of Data in The, Go- in the Goonies. Huh. And also short round in Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Returning to acting, you know. I was also assistant. Um, he's done stunt choreography for X-Men, um, assistant director for Wong Kar Wai in 2046. So he's had a, a little bit of a career going on after all of that, after being a, a child actor. Yeah. Of course, this film also has James Hong in it. Yes. The ubiquitous James Hong who has just gotten a star on Hollywood Boulevard. <sighs> Amazing. I love that guy. He's so good. Oh, he's so funny in this as well Mm. and just incredible. Now, we are talking about Doctor Strange in the multiverse of madness and everything, everywhere, all at once, as Mm. if you have seen both. Yes. Yeah. So we're spoiling them rotten, breaking the laws of reviewing, but we were actually doing this sort of retrospective look at them, so we figure you've seen them now. And if you haven't, run. Run while you still have time. The Fanny Pack was by Son Locks, the soundtrack from Everything. All right, now I wanted to look at the Illuminati. Ah, yeah. In Doctor Strange. Let's, let's do mm. it. Big concept there, and it's a cheeky concept. Mm. Now, originally the Illuminati, they're a secret society, and they're in the Marvel comic books, mm-hmm. and they first kind of appeared in uh, New Avengers number seven back in 2005, and that was a Brian Michael Bendis story. They have been discussed in other comic books and have appeared again in various forms. Originally, they were supposed to be a group of the top superheroes who were coming together as a secret society Mm -hmm. to influence events and to take charge of the superhero presence, the enhanced upon the planet, Uh basically behind the scenes. So you had in it Reed Richards, leader of the Fantastic Four, Black Bolt, the King of the Inhumans, Dr. Stephen Strange, Professor Charles Xavier. And in the comic books, you also had Tony Stark and Namor of Atlantis, neither one of which who are in this film, although Tony Stark's presence is obviously so keenly felt that a lot of fans speculated from some very fuzzy images in the trailer that Tony Stark was going to appear as superior Iron Man, Tom Taylor's nasty Tony Stark creation in the comic books, and he was going to be played by Tom Cruise. Never happened. They're actually mistaking Maria Rambo, um, um, the Captain Marvel of that universe, because she's got an open-faced helmet. Yeah, yeah. Tom's got enough on. He, he doesn't have time he to be has. in this. 
He's too busy. Played by Lashana Lynch, plays the two ring-ins for this Earth's 838, they call it in here. Mm. They have Captain Marvel and Hayley Atwell playing Peggy Carter. Yes, exciting. Captain, Captain Carter. And we just got through being excited about seeing that in What If yeah. in the animated series. And here she is playing Captain Carter live action, and she could do this all day. Oh, my God. Except, Except she, she can't. can't. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, that felt so bitter. Oh, gosh. It was, I mean, it was so much fun, that scene, and it was so exciting, but then also quite heartbreaking. <laughs> it, it is. Okay, so when our Doctor Strange from Earth 616 gets mm-hmm. to meet this Illuminati, it's set up in a typical Sam Raimi way, and it's also just playing good filmmaking, you know, it's like, oh, my God, here's all of these great people. They must be invincible. And then Wanda comes in as the Scarlet Witch and just wipes them yeah. out in, in minutes, literally just minutes. Yeah. And and this establishes your villain as something really dangerous. And not to be know. underestimated. I mean, I, I think that's part of it in, in a way, you know, they were disposed of very quickly. And part of that is through the, I mean, arrogance is probably a bit much, but the assumption that all of them could take on a singular Wanda, and so they underestimated her, which you never underestimate Wanda. No, she is one of the most powerful characters in the Marvel Universe, and if you go back through the history of comics, of course, it's the House of M where she says no more mutants and wipes the mutants mm. out totally with, with her hex powers. Speaking of important people, Reed Richards, you know, normally the smartest man in any room without Tony Stark in it, and yet... He blurts out Black Bolt's Achilles heel at the start of the fight with Scarlet Witch and says, he can kill you with a whisper from his mouth. And Wanda goes, aha. Yeah. Well, again, that's it. Underestimating Wanda. I thought that was so – what did you think about the casting? Because I know that's a bit of fan casting because people really wanted him to be cast as Reed Richards. John Krasinski. Yes. Partly because they also wanted his wife to be cast as Sue Storm. Which, I mean, I do love Emily Blunt, but that Ooh. aside. Um. Yeah, well, make a fine Reed Richards now. Not Reed Richards from Earth 838. Well, no, and that's the thing. I was like, <laughs> man, that's so cool. Like, if they do a movie, like, does that mean he's going to be in it? And no, it doesn't at all because they can cast whoever they want because it's a multiverse. So they could be like, mm. well, yeah, he was that in this Earth and then in this other Earth we've gone ahead and cast Tom Cruise or whatever. So don't get ahead of yourself for anything because – it's not just fan service, this is. This is cheeky fan service. Lots of fun to be had in doing this and then yanking the rug out from under you. Well, it's like the fake out with Quicksilver in WandaVision. I was like, yes, yeah. oh, my God, this is like the X-Men crossover we've been waiting for. And it was kind of like, well, actually, it's just some dude that she's brainwashed. <laughs> I watched Star Trek Picard the night before I went to see mm-hmm. Dr. Strange. And so Patrick Stewart was in my mind, yes. which is always a, you can't see me, listeners, but I'm making that little telephone sort of gesture. That, you can uh, live rent-free in there, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, of course, we have, as we saw in a, uh, revealed more or less in a trailer, Patrick Stewart plays Professor Exit. So here he is. Yeah, that was exciting. Ride, riding a uh, special chair that we've seen in the comic books and given a riff of music from the the old X-Men cartoon series. Yeah. (laughs) And then also disposed of. (laughs) Quickly disposed of. And the funny thing is that in Picard, (laughs) he's doing the same thing in Picard. He has to go inside someone's head Mm. to help them get get out of a, a sort of a coma. And Professor X tries to do the same thing. I'm I'm too crossed over. There's a lot. 
I mean, I think earlier you said that you felt kind of Wanda's motivations and things, you know, it was kind of well done here. I actually, to counter, felt that it was a bit fuzzy where I I think they were hitting the nail too hard on her motivation being the thing with her children and that, you know, she felt this loss and she was struggling. And then there was the overlay of, well, actually it's the Scarlet Witch and that's what's come out. And yeah, Wanda's still vulnerable, but this isn't her. I just, it was all a bit muddled to me. And I felt, is this Wanda? Like, has she gone fully dark side or no? Or, you know, it was a bit confusing as to what that dynamic was. And I did think the premise, I mean, she's been through a lot and that's why I love the end of WandaVision where she, you just felt that so deeply for her, but for then to her to turn around and then do some of the things she did here, I was like, well, my sympathy's gone now. And that bothered me. Well, that's true. She's now the villain of the piece. Mm. Indisputably that, I mean, when she attacks the Kamataj yeah. Yeah. monastery, source of Dr. Strange's training and powers and where all of the other uh, acolytes and uh, sorcerers assemble to fight Wanda. You know, she kills people there in no uncertain terms. Mm. Tortures and tortures to get what she wants as well, yeah. I think of her as being, uh, you know, because they they make a distinction, it's Wanda and then there's the Scarlet Witch, which is the evil Wanda in this, which is a good kind of a, a shorthand actually. I feel like she's gone Dark Willow from Buffy. Yeah. But there's an extra thing in here. They're very careful to explain that in this film. Uh, she's influenced by the Darkhold evil magic That's book. True. That's true. Yeah. This is that. And that has its own sort of history. Yes. You know, in, in, in both the comic books and across everything from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Mm. to, you know, to WandaVision and so on. So there is that. So she can come back from that. Yeah. No, that's true. I think I wanted more of the sympathy, and I suppose that's the problem is that they're assuming maybe you've just come off WandaVision where they've built that empathy for her, so then you can go on this journey where she kind of turns a bit. Because it's been a while since I watched WandaVision and I came in and I was like, oh, okay, what's hmm. all this then? So, Well, it, it felt like they were uh, changing our expectations. It was like, oh, my God, she's the villain. Yeah. Because that's, that's not given away in the trailers or anything. No. And, I, I mean, I think that was great in a lot of ways. Like, And that led into some of the, the great Raimi moments, the very horror, you know, the fractured self uh, and all of that. And, and I, I appreciated that for sure. But I want to like Wanda still, and I did not mm. like how it made me, the film made me feel about her. I felt very manipulated. <laughs> I felt the same way, but I also felt it was good drama. Yes, that, true, you know. true. If you hate it, it's often you go, oh, curse you writers. That's true. <laughs> That's true. And I guess there was enough going on elsewhere that it, it fit together. It didn't stick out as like, oh, they've just, you know, relied on this evil concept. I think question here. She was in quest of her two non-existent children, mm. right, who, who do exist in different multiverses. <laughs> what about going after her husband? Yeah, well, <laughs> I, and that's <laughs> it. I, I guess it's that in all those other multiverses, he is also still not there, but maybe the yeah. children, so she, you know, she gets a bit wires crossed there. And that's what I thought's interesting about the way, different way you can do a multiverse is, you know, in a lot of these some of the key things are the same, like there is a Captain Marvel or there is a Peter Parker, but who that is and what that looks like changes, and so that's where you have the fun. Um, mm. And so, yeah, I think it's interesting the way they depict 
what different universes would be like. In a lot of these, the Doctor Strange is almost the same and the situation he's in is roughly similar with a few small changes, whereas some characters are quite different. So... Triple R on FM, digital, online and via the app. The chillingly perky WandaVision from the WandaVision Episode 2 soundtrack, Kristen Anderson, with various singers there. In the uh, Everything, Everywhere, All at Once movie, the Easter eggs are often homages to Waxia films mm. or cinema in general. Yes. In this one, it's all very much tied into the MCU mm, mm, mm. or or into Sam Raimi's the Raimi verse, you know, like of course Bruce Campbell is in this. Oh, <laughs> yeah, what a cameo! <laughs> yeah, brilliant. Actually, loved it, loved it. And I always thought Bruce Campbell would make a pretty decent Tony Stark back in the day. Absolutely, myself. I can see that. Hmm. Speaking of horror as well, Anson Mount, Captain Pike from the Star Trek series, mm-hmm. he plays Black Bolt, and he's not only playing Black. Bolt in this, King of the Inhumans, he played that role in Marvel's ABC television series, oh. Inhumans, oh. the one that failed, like had it one season and out. That's interesting. So how, you know, I mean, yeah. are we going to see Cloak and Dagger appear in the MCU? And uh, we already know they've bought the Netflix characters. Yes. I mean. Uh, many of them. We know yeah. Daredevil is a thing now. I King think they're going to pick and choose. They're going to keep us guessing. They're going to use, they're going to deploy each character for maximum effect when and if they want. And some will be left on the shelf. Or for Maximoff effect. <laughs> yeah, but he was great in that in that non-speaking role. Very expressive face, though, so I feel like they were spot on with that one. Did he get a line? Yes, he did he get did, a line, yeah. I suppose. But Well, yeah, he did get <laughs> <Sort> a line. <laughs> Muffled <laughs> scream of horror. <laughs> and then we went for the exploding head, you know, so you, you devil, Sam Raimi. Gosh, those deaths, they were some graphic, that was some graphic stuff. It was good though. I like that. Sometimes it's a bit sanitized, whereas this was all a bit gritty. Very gritty. I thought they brought class to the the concept really. I think Sam Raimi was the ideal choice for this one, given what they expected to do. And I, I think it opens the way for, for more horror-based Marvel movies. You know, we can get into Blade and, and, uh, Marvel monsters because we've got like Frankenstein and a Wolfman and all these other ones. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I think Universal owns those though. I think Universal is doing a monster thing. Yeah, well, they can do that. At the same time, we have Werewolf by Night, whose human name is, God help us, Jack Russell, and and they have a mummy and, you know, these things. So they could still do a thing. Um, and of course, uh, Man Thing, which is sort of kind of mm-hmm. like Swamp Thing, and you know, yeah, yeah, they've got their own Swamp Monster. Um, so you know, that's all coming up. I reckon I've seen them before on uh, Marvel cartoons. Of course, they've done episodes of that. But there's a Halloween special coming up this year. Oh, cool! So you know, look out. And this opens the way for that. I feel mm. opens the gate and lets them in. It does and. I feel like there's some a lot going on in this film under the surface, just as there is in everything. Yeah, you yeah. Know, they've got the same sort of resonance coming through. And, you know, my head started blowing up when I saw Michelle Yeoh doing martial arts in this film because I realised that she'd done that in uh, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. Yeah. Where she plays the uh, the, the butt-kicking auntie. And, and of course, she was uh, in Guardians of the Galaxy too. So, hmm. yeah, sort of like uh, doing my head in again. What did you think of 
Stephanie Sue as Joy Wang or Jobu as they call the evil. Yes, I thought I thought she was great. I think obviously at first you're like, cool, it's just a daughter character. Obviously, I can see the turmoil here, and then you know she gets the opportunity to do some really cool stuff like out the outfits, the aesthetics, and just really leaning into the whole Jobu character. I actually think she pulled that off really well. I think that can yeah. be tricky. That can be very tricky to be that outrageous and still sell it as a little bit sinister. I think she did a really great job. Um, I, it was supported by some excellent wardrobe. Oh, too. the wardrobe! Like whoever styled that, oh, had must have had the best fun, and like the makeup, just the whole thing that came together. Her whole aesthetic was great. And again, you get some real opportunity, like you know, she's fighting with sex toys, like it's all over the place, and she's just um, having to do some ridiculous stuff and still make it seem very, yeah, like a combat situation and like part of the plot and like still, you know, trying to sell this story. I thought she was great. I'm not very familiar with her, and I think she's she's done. She's been working and she's done a few other things. I've not really seen her in anything, so. I loved how nihilistic she was. You know, this was this was a key concept of the film. It was she'd seen everything. She'd seen all these multiverses, yes. and, and it had turned her nihilistic. So yep. she was very, nothing matters. Yeah. I've seen it all. There's nothing but the, the, the hole. Boy, in the bagel. The, in, in the bagel. Yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> yeah, and – and you had to contrast that with Evelyn, who, who when she, she saw everything, she almost got sucked into that bagel world herself. Yes, the bagel world. Yeah, for sure. And I think what I thought was interesting too, like you mentioned the Alpha Universe, is the inverse of that where they're talking to Evelyn and they're like, you know, yourself, this you, is the most unfulfilled version <laughs> of all the things you could do. And I was like, gosh, what a concept how, that if every – How crushing. I know. Every branch is a different opportunity or way your life could go, and yet all the you're in the place where all the roads were untaken or something like that. So I thought, you know, and then, yeah, mixing that with someone who has had an opportunity to know everything – and it's also ruined her. It's like, gosh, what is the meaning? Maybe we should just crawl into the bagel hole. <laughs> well, well, to me, there was an interesting sort of Buddhist take on this. Uh, and while this is an American film, it's very much an Asian American film. Yes. Completely yeah. so, you know. And, and I thought one of the good things about it was um, the fact that this multiverse thing, it's like you're living multiple lives. You know, so we've got that Buddhist concept of reincarnation. And so if you go through all these different avatars of yourself as a rock, <laughs> as a as a being with hot dogs for fingers, etc., etc., at the end of all of that, you should achieve enlightenment. And in a way, Evelyn does. Mm. She realizes that very sort of, you know, this is a very Zen concept, that that the small moments, the mundane, the pragmatic moments of life, they matter. Mm. They are everything. You know, the uh, the chopping water carrying wood. Yeah. <laughs> that sort of thing. <laughs> you know, all of that matters. And yeah. and doing the and running the laundry and doing the taxes. Okay, maybe not doing the taxes. But it's it's all got importance. Yeah. I think I mean it's interesting when you think about it, like, I mean, do you feel like the multiverse could be possible? Like, do you think there's multiple branches of ways things could go or is it more a deterministic thing where everything's predetermined? Like what's your vibe, Rob? 
Well, the thing is, it's like UFOs. It changes over time as, mm. as science changes the concept or, or adds to it or has different readings of it. So, you know, at one stage there was a, you know, it was that Star Trek thing where it was, a, it was a, there could be a parallel universe where everything was bad. Mm. And that, even in Star Trek, that's become nuanced and changed and all yeah. sorts of things. But, you know, I'm no mathematician, so if, if the uh, if this if the boffins tell me that it's possible, I go, yeah, okay, sure, why not? Mm. Uh, it does it, it does give you that sort of insecurity of where am I in the? Uh, I suppose that's the thing. It's like are there other universes out there, and are they other versions of our universe, or are they separate? And that's a whole other thing, I guess. I mean, I yeah, I guess I like the idea that there's key touch points that that are assured, like there'll be a Captain Marvel or there'll be a such and such. And then any other way you get here or there is depends. So they they call them hinge points in time in mm. Doctor Who, you know, yeah. fixed points in time. I think I think you know that's I mean? that's part of it, right? And everybody's and yeah. that's what I like in everything everywhere is the relationship with the tack, the IRS agent, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis, oh, who's what having a great a, role, who's having a blast, oh. by the way, um, yeah. in this role. Obviously, having time of her life, but it's so interesting the relationship with a commentary on their different relationship in different universes. But you see a little bit in the end that, you know, there's a connection there and that, you know, things that seem the opposite or impossible maybe aren't as impossible as you think. I like that idea. Mm. I think it was a lot of fun to be had by everybody in in that film and in the Doctor Strange movie. Look, if you want to go back and listen to some more formalised reviews of both of these films, they exist in the past in Zero-G, in the past five or so weeks. Uh, but I, I thought I'd revisit them now and in our spoiler fashion, which is normally a naughty sort of thing to do on the show, but we've got a couple of weeks on on the Doctor Strange movie and more than a few weeks totally. on uh, everything. So, you know, we have warned you copiously throughout the uh, the episode yes. that it's spoiled rotten You've been today. told. Hmm. Or have you? <laughs> in in another universe, maybe not. I just well, I th- I just feel like so happy that twenty eight films in, they're still doing things that are new and interesting and fresh. Like I had so much fun with Multiverse of Badness, and at the same time, I'm so glad that films like Everything Everywhere are being made, and that the success and you know the critical reception and audience reception of that film film will hopefully mean other such strange films get made in future like i'm just so glad those films exist on many levels because i think it's been very important for like asian american communities and asian immigrant communities like i think there's so much about that film like i'm so glad that that's getting some attention and that it has been made but it's so exciting to know that there's still good stuff happening in the cinema and things to look forward to and enjoy so very pleased mm. It does make me wonder if if, if someday we, we will be able to access uh, multiverses and get different versions of films. Ooh, oh, my gosh. Or yeah, films know, that the, didn't get made here but got made in some other universe. Mm. Yeah, like, you know, being like Orson Welles' Moby Dick. Oh, my God. Like, Woodwatch. Yeah, you know, there's just so many different yeah. aspects of that that could be done. Or uh, Stanley Kubrick's Napoleon. Yes, 100%. You know. Yeah. Well, that's about it for Zero Chief for today. <laughs> and, you know, we've spent a lot of time on this one, and I'm kind of glad we did. It was yeah. fun chatting about this. Yeah. I think we're going to go out today with a track called Alpha, mm-hmm. riffing off the Alpha universe in everything, everywhere, all at once. And this is riffing off the fact that the great composer, uh, Vangelis, has passed away. Mm-hmm. And this is from his album Gift. 
And this is a track called Alpha. <laughs> thank you to Kayla Larson, our podcaster. Uh, thank you to you, Megan. Thank you, Rob. And Joe Brunetic coming up next with Astral Glamour. And thank you to all the different variants yeah. of Rob Jan as well. <laughs> I wish you well in whatever universes you happen to be, right up until the TVA comes and knocks you out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> just, just maintain a low-key profile, guys. That's all I can say. G'day, this is Rob Jan. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy, and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website.